0: Hello and welcome to impacting the classroom, the podcast that brings together policymakers, researchers and educators to discuss the educational landscape. Today, we're excited to have this conversation, and I'm your co-host, Darlene estes Delray.
1: Hello again, Darlene. I am Marnetta Larimer. Today, we're joined by two experts in the concept of continuous quality improvement systems, or CQIs, as we'll be calling it as we move forward. Debbie Mathias and Stephanie Currington-Jolly. Did I say it right? (laughs) Welcome, ladies.
2: Thank you for having me. I am so pleased to be here today very exciting. Me
3: too. I'm looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you. And for our listeners, you're in in for such a treat because these ladies have brought such rich details around continuous quality improvement. So we're going to just jump right in and start talking about continuous quality improvement systems. So we're going to start by talking about it from a system level. What are they and how are they impacting the classroom?
2: Well, you know, I think that I will leave this first one up to Debbie because she and her colleagues are really the experts in the field about what quality improvement systems should look like across the field.
3: Thanks, Stephanie. Um,
2: but you know what?
3: People working in states are really the experts about their own context and about what's going to work with their providers, their families, and their communities. But a little bit about quality rating improvement systems. They began as a state strategy in the late 1990s. That was around the time where we were thinking about how could we help childcare improve settings. We were hearing about all the brain research. We were getting research about how where children are spending their time is important to their early development. We had the National Association of Education for Young Children, articulating components of a quality setting. We were also hearing about return on investment thinking. What does school readiness look like in the early years? We wanted child care to be a better partner for Head Start, early intervention, and state pre-K. And really, be able to support families in their child school readiness well when race to the top came out that further supported this strategy and really inculcated it into the landscape you know each state has a different goal for their quality improvement system and a different theory of change about it some wanted to raise the floor of licensing which was more like related to health and safety. And as you know, licensing has different regulations in each state, so we're building on an uneven foundation to improve childcare. Some states really wanted their QRIS work to get to the place where they were and had childcare as a part of the system for school readiness, like can we really use the largest child serving system to improve school readiness for children. Other states had an idea about using QRIS, quality rating improvement systems, to unify the early childhood system. If they could have different sectors participating from Head Start Early intervention, state pre-K, and child care—they could use it as a bridge and a way to unite those sectors together. You know, QRIS was an indicator-based system with many states relying on research-based observational assessment tools that covered a lot of ground and provided the supports for the PD and the TA necessary to improve the practice. Right? Yeah. But all along the way, insufficient financing's been a continuing barrier to successful, full-scale, sustainable implementation of this system's approach to quality improvement.
1: I really appreciate the background that you shared with us and just that foundation that you laid for the conversation as we propel it forward. So the both of you have been working in or studying these systems for a while now. What trends have you seen come and go from the states using CQIs?
2: Well, what I've learned, and I've learned this mostly from my conversations with my colleagues at Build, is that the future CQIs will focus less on rating and more on the cycle of improvement. So originally our quality improvement systems were very much focused on the quest to find sort of the perfect rating tool. But we are seeing a shift away from rating tools to focus on how the system is built in a way that will reinforce a continuous cycle of quality. And this means that ongoing improvement efforts are now going to be the key the key driver of the system. And this idea really harkens back to a conversation that I actually had with Debbie a few weeks ago, in which she said professional learning for our early childhood educators and leaders, it is now the driver of our quality improvement system. So in my work with measurement development on the rating tool, I've led the development of called the Assessing Classroom Social Cultural Equity Scale Pronounced Access. In that work, I started early on in its development, thinking about what is the professional development and coaching supports that would go along sort of with this tool. You know,
3: Stephanie, when I hear you talking about that, it makes me think of states going kind of back home with the tools that were really invented Um, such as the class or the environment rating scales, really invented to give information to the teacher and the director about where they were in a quality um, continuum and to use the tools to understand what would be next and what, what what area can I be doing better in. And I think as the tools migrate more to the continuous quality improvement or data for improvement idea, it's going to give us more space for tools that help really have a unique perspective or can give programs insights about how to improve for different groups of children, different families, or different areas that they're working on and really want to improve. And so I'm kind of excited about this idea of you know, using the data and the tools for improvement, like you said, Stephanie. I think that's gonna be a nice opportunity for programs and for states to think more carefully about, about this area.
0: Debbie and Stephanie, it just made me think about just like, just excitement about bringing these things together. And I'm just wondering just if you might say a quick word about like in the past as a trend that maybe those assessments you mentioned were sort of like the assessments happened and then sort of PD sort of happened, but maybe correct me if I'm wrong, the 2 were aren't always as connected as they could have been to be as impactful. Would you say more about that? Um, what your thoughts are on that?
2: Yes. So I definitely will. Um, I can say that a long, long time ago, when we first started doing QRIS and when, when we even when the field first even sort of started to work with class, we way back in that day, we did not have sort of a PD sort of component to these measurement tools. I have to honestly say, you know, since then the class measure and the teach Stone company have really risen to the occasion and they are providing PD that actually supports their tool, right? the place where i come in with a unique perspective is that the tool that i created is really there to look at racial equity in the classroom and to really help push the field forward in terms of racial equity and and making sure that the classroom experiences that we deem as quality that those experiences are distributed across all of the children and this is so important because it is this perspective here about sort of equity and quality, that's what's really going to drive the system. That's what's really going to make it better and support sort of wider access, you know, and more responsiveness to family and children's needs.
3: You know, when you're talking there, Stephanie, about equity, I think that there's, we're all learning about the difference between equality and equity. Mm-hmm. They're, they're similar, but, but slightly different concepts. You know, equality generally refers to equal opportunity, the same level of resources and supports for all air, all segments of society. Whereas equity more specifically refers to ensuring everyone has fair access to opportunities and services, while also removing barriers such as discrimination, racism, poverty, and other challenges. You know, equity requires offering varying levels of support, depending upon the need to achieve greater fairness of outcomes. And I think that this concept. You know, we have to remember and it's recognition of historical and current inequities that excluded access to opportunities or services. I think this concept and definition is key in transforming the conversation about continuous quality improvement systems and and how to work toward equitable systems. Right. Yeah, And this, of course, leads in turn to the targeted universalism strategy, right, where we, we have an idea about what we want to have happen, but we really need to look at populations in terms of what populations need more supports and services. And this comes in, as you know, Stephanie, with the PD and TA systems and the financing systems for all this work, right? You know, we've been talking more and more about advancing quality improvement systems, advancing toward equity, right? And I think that we're improving our language around these concepts, right, with um, the components. And this is going back up from where Stephanie was talking about the classroom experience to a system trying to impact the classroom experience, right? The way you're conceptualizing or incorporating the the big system. So what are the mission, vision, and goals of the system that center equity? What type of courageous leadership and governance do you employ? And, And some of these concepts are at each level of the system. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in a minute because this conversation's around the classroom level, but what's going on in the other levels is gonna be key to the classroom opportunities as well. Is there equitable financing? Do we have engagement and partnership with families, providers, and partners in development, and implementation of the QIS, now quality improvement systems, right? Are there equitable standards in each of the big three buckets? Like for example, are the learning standards, what children need to know and be able to do, advancing toward equity? Are the different sets of program standards, whether the Head Start performance standards, the pre-K standards, the licensing standards, the quality improvement standards are they all reflecting an equitable perspective you know so going back and looking at each of those three sets and the and the final one being the practitioner competencies or standards right are there equitable supports for improving and maintaining quality and finally this is where we get to digging in on the continuous quality improvement theme in the accountability data feedback evaluation and here's where i just want to talk for a minute about each level of the system and state leaders and community leaders and program thinking about how the system is working and who's benefiting from the system that you've put in place and this focus of the I, and improvement and the program improvement plan so the You know, tools are used to inform the improvement setting. I think another change I've seen is states taking a strength-based approach and looking to support all the providers and improving their quality, understanding where they are on a quality continuum and taking steps and having supports to improve their quality. And this building a culture of quality and reflective practice, ensuring the locus of control of quality improvement is at the program level. I think what happened initially in crafting these systems was it sat more at the state and implementing partner level. Mm -hmm. But when you think about quality improvement with the practitioner within the program, within the implementing partners and at the state level. Each group has a continuous cycle of improvement at their own level, and together those cycles impact and play off of each other. So how are the TA and PD uh, implementing partners thinking about their own quality improvement? What are they hearing from providers? For me, the start of all the quality improvement efforts begins with each person's own quality improvement plan so each of us think about well what do i need to do better and you know what what can what do i do well what can i do better and what do i want to learn this year about doing better right and that within programs from the teacher aide to the director within implementing partners from the ta providers, technical assistance providers, or coaches from the assessors, right, using the tools, how are they each getting better, and how is it rolling up to the state, looking at their data, who's benefiting from this system, and thinking about how can we get better, right, yeah, at all I, those levels.
1: I love how you, I, I love what you just said, like it literally lit me up, because, you know, you feel very, you know, depending on where you are in the system, you feel very, you know, tied down just kind of under the things, right? You feel kind of helpless. And so it's great to look at CQI and think, hey, it can start with me as an individual movement, right? What can I do better? How can I improve what I am doing and how it's interconnected with all the other work that happens. And so knowing that you have an opportunity to impact, right? And influence what's happening in your own personal space and how that lends itself to more improved work and more improved outcomes in what you're doing that's, I mean, that's inspiring. (laughs) It's like, you know what I mean? Like as a person who just might feel very stuck to know that you have an opportunity to impact um, at a higher level, just by starting with yourself, it's inspiring.
0: And Marnetta, I would add to like that sense of agency, right? Like it's not, it feels like something not being done to me, but that I have like that locus of control that, that this is something I can own and I want to own and I can see my own growth and I'm propelling it forward. Like, you know, Debbie was saying, but that changes it from just that, that big R rating that seems like it's done to me versus something I can commit to. And, and knowing that everybody in my system is doing the same. I think there's that sense of community that we're all working towards a common goal of improvement. So yes, you've got us all fired up, Debbie, just all that to say, right? (laughs) Well, and then I think the
3: main result we want, and I'm going to hand it over to Stephanie here to say is in the end, we want better programs for children and families. And it's at the program level and within the classroom that we can really, you know, work together, but all levels working towards supporting the teacher and provider in the classroom improve improve the quality of the setting and it works right into your tool there Stephanie to give us insights about that
2: well you know this is I agree with you and I think what fired me up about what you were saying is this idea of sort of thinking about quality across all these different layers and and thinking about our framework for quality being able to touch everyone in that system and I think I'm fortunate because I'm coming uh, long at a time when we've just learned so much. So, I was able to, as I thought about the access tool, I was always able to think about where does this tool sit in a larger system? And how can we use the ideas and the values of this tool to change decisions, you know, at the leadership level? How can we use it to change PD? How can we use it to change teacher practice? And so, the one thing that I'm very excited about. Is this idea of what we're really trying to think about, you know, with access is trying to figure out how can we have sort of a a technical assistance sort of engagement framework that really is going to touch each level. And we're just now starting to learn about that. We We were lucky enough to have a funding from the Gates Foundation to help us develop what we are calling these communities of practice, you know, within localities. And in those communities of practice, what we're really trying to do is bring in some of the leaders, right, in our early childhood workforce to think about strategically, how do we plan for racial equity in our system? What are, just as, as Deb says, what are what's our mission, vision, and goals that center around equity, racial equity in particular, right? And then looking at sort of how that then feeds up to en- engagement and partnership with families, et cetera, so that we are all sort of operating from The same common values, the same common vocabulary, and you're building a system that will just sort of travel along, you know, together as one unit. And I guess I would say one other thing when we talk about trends because one other trend that I've seen very recently is states and programs beginning to openly and unapologetically talk about how important it is to focus on how some of our quality tools that we use in the CQI systems take into consideration the impact the system is having on low-income children and families of color. Mm -hmm. So we have to acknowledge unfortunately that our early care and education system is racist. It's a, it's a huge flaw in our system and it's classist as well. And it, that's from the very nature of its design historically. So the only way we can really fix these problems is by being brave enough to confront these flaws and to really talk about them. And if we really want to create a system that is racially equitable, we have to start focusing on racial equity in all of these areas that we just talked about, in terms of access, in terms of our quality ratings, and in terms of our workforce, right? And so, for example, in terms of access, we have to talk about the fact that Latin-A children in particular have less access to early childhood center-based care. And we have to talk about how segregated our early childhood programs are. In fact, our early childhood programs are even more segregated than our K through 12 system. And we all know that we have some problems with our K through 12 system. So, and then finally, just in terms of quality, we have to be honest and start talking about the fact that racially marginalized children do not have the same access to high quality care. And of course, we also have to think about this in terms of thinking about the way in which we commonly define quality, which is why my colleagues and I talk about in a paper that raises the question of sort of like the bias that we have around the cultural bias that is prevalent in the way quality is defined. And then I think last but not least, which is so critically important, is that we need to think about racial equity in terms of the workforce, because we have some real walls to break down around this issue. Our early childhood workforce consists of an overrepresentation of women of color. And we know from work by Man- Marcy Whitebook and her colleagues that there's a great pay disparity between these racial groups. It is It's just shameful. So we need to think of a, Q, a CQI system that has to think about how all these things at the same time, and it has to be built in a way that the system continuously regenerates itself each time, pushing it forward towards more equitable access, towards higher quality, and towards a professionally compensated workforce. You just said a lot.
1: I couldn't shake my head more fervently. Um, you know, as a woman of color you're that's just experience right especially in this field so you're like literally speaking my experience through you know the work that i've done in my lifetime so i felt that i'm sure a lot of our listeners did as well so stephanie you were just talking about the impact on low-income students and families how do we know that these students are actually having better experiences in the classroom is that something
2: we can measure Well, I am hoping so. I believe that we can. And that is why um, we created the access tool. And that tool looks at racial equity in the classroom. And it's my hope that this tool can actually be used to measure the experiences of racially marginalized children that are having. And it's really the first measure of its kind to try to fuse together what we know about developmentally appropriate practice in early childhood with also the literature on culturally responsive pedagogy and anti-racist pedagogy. So we think that the field desperately needs a measure like this because it will provide information about the education quality specifically as it relates to marginalized kids. And once we know this information, then we can begin to build the professional learning community that is needed to help teachers learn and grow in their practice. And I've spoken about this idea before at the National Build Conference last summer when I presented two talks with my colleagues about the access tool. And I think we're gonna make those presentations available to you on the website. And we can also make a research paper about the access tool available. And we're just now starting to see some evidence that a teacher's access scores in a classroom are actually associated with children's math skills and their executive functioning skills. And we hope that that paper will be published sometime within the upcoming year. And I'll say one last thing is though the tool, because I am an early childhood person at heart, the tool started in our early childhood space and in our early childhood sphere, but because of the K through 12 system and the need that we have there, I've had colleagues reach out to me to say, hey, could we use this framework also in in the K through 12 system? And so what I've done is work with some colleagues um, at um, Mathematica recently to think about, or to revise, The access tool so that it now can also be applicable in classrooms that span from kindergarten all the way up to fifth grade. That is amazing.
1: (laughs) That is amazing. I look forward to looking at some of those resources that are going to be provided as well.
3: Well, I think that this tool and the consideration of the tool and learning about the tool is going to heighten the awareness of everyone throughout the field about how to do better right? Like I think that as PD instructors or coaches learn the mechanics of the tool and the concepts in the tool, it will really help them to provide better technical assistance and coaching within programs, right? And I think that the the data from the tool can also be used really at the state system level to understand how the system is advancing toward equity, right? So there's going to be learning here for state leaders, too, about cultural differences and, and nuances and how to support children. And I think that, you know, we're even finding in classrooms more and more um, teachers are going to have a number of children in the rooms who speak a different language, for example, and, you know, how well prepared, supported, and equipped are they to really provide um, good teaching and learning with children from diverse backgrounds who speak other languages. And I think it's just going to become more and more important for our early childhood workforce to, to have a good support system to do this work. Yeah.
0: I love that. You know, in early childhood, we're always trying to push, push up great practices. And so what a great, um, another great example of pushing up what's something great happening in the early childhood space that can continue on through the K-12 space. Because so often we see like things that are good and working well drop off somehow in their experiences, you know, that that continue onward. So super excited to watch that progress as well, Stephanie. So go, go. Um, We'll (laughs) all be watching and cheering from the sideline um, for that. I think
3: another piece of this too, Stephanie, way in here is I don't think we've done a good enough job helping directors and teachers think about creating a culture of improvement within the program or center, like about the container for learning how to do better of that continuing to investigate and think about your practice and improve your practice. But I don't think we've done enough with data use, like what does the class data or the ERS data or the access data, how as a teacher do I look at that data and understand what it means to what I should be doing differently or better. And then I think at the program level, the director thinks about what are the results and and what we're seeing across all the rooms mean about the TA and PD that the staff would benefit from, right? And then the implementing partners say, gosh, I see (laughs) from looking across the results of the tools we're using that we could use more culturally sensitive training for staff members or you know and then and that rolls up and and we all begin to look together throughout the system up and down about what is the data so it's not just collecting the data it's using the data to inform your action right actionable data right
0: Yeah, right. Real time data makes that possible. Like I think about so many teachers who say like, I know they collected this data and like it seems like they just waited for like an annual report to to surface versus making like how does that data change the way I'm going to teach tomorrow or next week or how I'm going to interact with families or so like getting everyone to think like that.
1: Well, and it's lack of access too, right? Because a lot of times when, you know, these assessments are done or whatever, teachers don't have access to that data until it's presented to them, whether it's TA or through those annual reports that you have. So how can they inform their practices if they only get it, you know, four times a year, right? Or twice a year, you know, when somebody checks in with them about it. So making that data accessible to them so that they can, right, um, implement the change and start the change is also a
0: key to it as well. Right. Well, speaking of data, and I
3: have one more thing I want to say about. Stephanie, I was waiting for you to chime in on this one too. I think that states are beginning and programs are beginning to think about how do we look at our child assessment data too, formative assessment, Mm -hmm. like the observations we're doing. We know it can guide or influence our implementation of the curriculum, right? but what does it mean about RCQI efforts the training that I need to do. Boy, I've noticed that my kids on pre-math skills aren't as strong as I wish they are. Or what does that mean to me about the opportunities I should be, you know, giving within the day-to-day routines of the classroom to support, you know, math skills or literacy skills or whatever. So, you know, an assessment is another great source of data that I think we can really tap to inform the continuous improvement effort. Within a program or or within our own classroom, right? I don't. How does that play into your tool, Stephanie? Are you looking at those things together, or how, yeah, how do you? Yeah, think about I was that?
2: actually going to say this too, but I I didn't. But for one, I would say that I think that we have to have more formative assessments in our field. We actually don't have enough. Most of our assessments are summative. And so we need more of those high quality formative assessments in real time that give teachers information in real time about how to change their practice. And one of the things that we're trying to do very much so with the access tool around the PD and coaching is that teachers will get their their scores. And then the, the coaching is directly related to sort of the things that we know in the areas where we know teachers need to learn and grow. Right. And I think that that's one area of like a type of formative assessment to sort of think about culturally responsiveness and, you know, racial equity. But I also have some work that I've done around language development and cla- and conversations in the classroom. And, and I just really believe that classroom conversations and oral language development in general is really the key to children's, um you know, like higher order thinking and problem solving. Sometimes what happens in our classrooms is that we don't have sort of these like really deep engaging conversations with children. And so I had developed a couple of years ago, sort of a professional development strategy called the Conversation Compass that really sort of provides um, oral language like PD and conversational PD to our early childhood workforce. But the way that this gets back to what Debbie was saying about formative assessment is as I was developing sort of that, there were tools, again, that began to be developed as part of that sort of professional learning that could be used as formative assessments or that were intended to be used as formative assessments. So one is what's called the Conversation Compass Communication Screener. And that tool in and of itself, it's a tool that a teacher can use to sort of observe and track a child's class conversations that they're having in the classroom with their peers, et cetera. So it's a tool that really forces the teachers to sort of watch a child interact and engage orally with their peers and in that space and to jot that down so that then the teacher can go directly back and say, hey, I know that with this child, they have not been engaging in a lot of conversations with peers. I need to be more systematic about how I set this child up with Mm -hmm. peers for circle time, for group play time, et cetera. And there's another formative assessment kind of observation tool that is in that book as well that is really focused, Just on observation. So it's really the teacher sitting back and taking this this sheet that really just watches and listens to children talk to each other and where the teacher can take notes so that she's understanding sort of what are the language skills that children have at this point in time and then she's able to be responsive to it and so i think that we just need and those are just examples from language and you know i talked about one for culture we also have we also have and need them or we need them in terms of math and in terms of other areas because those are the tools that that really, I think, drive our CQI, right? Because our C, if our CQI is about continuous improvement, right, we need the information and the data to feed back into the uh, classroom practices and into sort of even at the leadership level so that people can make changes. We really can't any longer stand by and watch sort of data be collected and then sent up to the state and then we just wait for it you know for <laughs> two more a year or so to get the report back we need to be sort of using this this kind of information on a regular basis and I think that we can do that if when we start to design our our um, formative assessments and if we design them in a teacher-friendly way and if we also start out by designing our professional learning and coaching in a very teacher-friendly and programmatic-friendly kind of way. Love that.
0: So much in there to think about. I'm going to move us along, but but like I know our listeners are out there like, oh, I want to know more about that. I don't want to know about this. So there might have to be like a, a you know a sequel to this. You never know. So but Debbie, I do want to ask you to tell us more about so our listeners know how they can get a better understanding of the quality improvement systems in place in their states. They've been hearing all of us talk but they're like how do how do I get a hold of this?
3: Well, there's uh, the quality compendium, and I think you'll put the website up with this uh, uh, session. It serves as a resource for up-to-date information about 45 quality improvement systems across the country. It helps us capture the, it's been operating now, well, gosh, I guess the first one came out in paper in 2010, but this is an online system now. I remember I had a copy of that on my desk. I had to, you know, page through it, but this is an easy online system to use. It's capturing the shifts in the field over time, and it helps us, whether at the community, program, or state level, identify promising practices. It serves as a resource for researchers programs and community, and for policy and advocacy leaders as well. We've done some new things. We collect the data every other year from states about their quality improvement systems. And we just collected data this past fall. You'll be delighted to know it was just put up in January. So we have some new data there at the end of uh, the COVID kind of period of time. So it's interesting to see some of the changes. But the we focused on some new areas, including and you'll recognize these as they relate to what Stephanie and I were talking about changes in the that we're seeing and continuous improvement. But we taught, we found got more data about recruitment and engagement with providers, including which populations the state quality improvement is targeting and recruitment strategies they're using to engage providers. We collected some information about upcoming revisions to the state systems, like looking ahead, what were state leaders thinking was, were areas they were going to change. We have some information in this uh, edition of the Quality Compendium that talks about what is the array of quality initiatives operating within the state but outside of or in tension with the quality improvement system. Many states see their quality improvement efforts as knitting together a series of initiatives like the pyramid model or the mind in the making or strengthening families. Or so how are these types of more national initiatives deployed within the quality improvement work? we asked specifically about the state or area's equity racial equity approach to recruitment participation quality improvement rating and any other specific approaches that were that they were really thinking on or focused in we talked about the what's the eligibility criteria to receive an accessibility to financial incentives as well as technical assistance. So a lot of new data there for us to mine and look at and see how this source of data and source of evidence can improve the state's work to make the system work better for families, children, providers, right? What can we learn from this data about improving? So we're looking forward to, in fact, next week we have a a session about the compendium and the new data sources. So we're looking forward to releasing that information to folks, but you can go to the website and you'll find that archive there after we do it next week and (laughs) uh, more information about the quality compendium.
1: I agree with Darlene. This We might have to do a sequel to this. (laughs) There was a lot of information that was covered during our time together, a lot for us to think about and to digest, but I also appreciate, and I'm sure the audience appreciates the resources, right? And the data, right? So you've given us, if we didn't have it at this wonderful start, some data to look at (laughs) to help to guide us, to improve our systems. I want to thank you guys both so much for joining us today. We loved having you on the podcast listeners you can find today's
0: episode and transcript on our website teachstone.com impacting and as always behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions so let's build that culture together and we'll see you next time bye
3: bye